0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Professor Shimon Kogan, an Associate Professor of Finance with positions at IDC Herzliya and the Wharton School. I personally took Professor Kogan's fintech course here at Wharton, and after the first lecture knew I had to get him on the show. Professor Kogan does a fantastic job of boiling complex topics down to the basics and identifying the key drivers behind fintech success. His teaching is focused on machine learning, data science, and blockchain and their implications for finance. And he's involved with several startups in the fintech space. Prior to teaching at Wharton, he held several investment management positions and board advisory roles. In today's episode, we discuss the shifting perspective around fintech companies after the financial crisis, why fintech is an excellent industry for new graduates to get into, exciting global trends in the industry, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. So hello, Professor uh, Kogan, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, I have to admit, I well, I, of course, I took your class uh, at Wharton earlier this year, and basically since the first lecture you gave, I thought it would make for a fantastic episode. So I, I appreciate your time. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good, and I appreciate
1: the opportunity of um, of being on the podcast. Uh, to, for full disclosure, I've been a huge fan for, uh, for many years. Uh, this podcast predates even my course. So when I uh, When I was bringing myself up to speed on what was going on in this industry uh, when it was really young and fledging, one of my sources was listening to the interviews, the excellent interviews that um, you've been conducting on this podcast for a while now.
0: I appreciate the kind words. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, So for listeners who might not know, could you describe a little bit about your career to date and uh, what you know initially generated your interest in fintech?
1: Sure. Well, so to be honest, I, I started my career by stumbling really into finance. You know, I kind of got a too good an offer to pass on to become an investment manager, then got into derivative markets, which was just uh, starting back then in Israel, and quickly got hooked on uh, on finance. I continued on and, and went to Berkeley to get my MBA. And during the course of that program, decided to make a somewhat unusual career uh, switch uh, to become an academic. Uh, so after my getting, getting my PhD in finance from Haas, I was on the faculty at CMU, uh, UT Austin, uh, and MIT Sloan, and I currently hold faculty positions, both at Wharton and IDC at Sevilla, which is is the top private university in Israel. So what got me interested in fintech, I, I think, you know, the number of things. I mean, so to begin with, my research has always been very interdisciplinary. I started using machine learning and natural language processing way back when to really better understand the information uh, contained in text data that is relevant for finance and how that affects uh, investors and markets. Because, you know, in the linkage between sort of information and markets is, is pretty obvious, but quantifying it is a deep question in, in finance. Um, so it was therefore quite natural for me to realize the transformational potential of technology on financial services. Uh, I also had, personally, had kind of, a with hindsight, fortune timing of moving back to Tel Aviv, which is now a major fintech hub, about 10 years ago. So sort start talking, interacting with VCs, entrepreneurs in this space, made it very, made it clear to me that we're really at the beginning of a major change, and I decided to focus my teaching, research, and industry engagements around it. This, you know, uh, the fintech course that you referred to, that I've been teaching at Wharton for over five years now, it was designed really with the mission of onboarding students to what I view as a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity.
0: Yeah, and and we'll get into that course a little bit, a lot more actually in a little bit. Um, But can you talk a little bit more about that decision to switch from working in the investment space to becoming a a professor? Uh, What kind of drove that uh, career change for you?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, like many decisions that I made, I don't think it was very strategic or, or planned out, but I think it was really a response to realization that curiosity is a major driver in my life. So as an academic, you know, I get to satisfy that curiosity by directing my research. And as a teacher, I think that I get satisfied by interacting with really diverse and smart, passionate individuals from undergrads uh, to executives and, and entrepreneurs. So, so so, I think it's a good fit all, all in all for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. And let, let's uh, dive into that class now. So I had a great time in that class. And one of the first things you mentioned in the in the first class was that fintech is more tech than it is financial services. And I would love for you to kind of expand on on that notion a little bit here.
1: Sure. Well, look, I, you know, I, I really believe in, um, we talked about the information markets. I really believe that markets uh, are a phenomenal vehicle of information. If you look at the markets and you compare the performance of something like uh, FINX, which is a global fintech ETF uh, traded on NASDAQ, You can very clearly see that over the past five years or so, its performance tracked much closer to um, that of XLK, which is an ETF tracking the technology sector, than XLF, which tracks the financial sector. And I I think that it it reflects a more fundamental attribute, and that is uh, the difference in the value drivers across those
0: two uh, sectors. Any concern um, that uh, using that comparison now, mm-hmm. given the uh, less than stellar performance of a few mm-hmm. different uh, <laughs> recent IPOs,
1: I, I think it still holds. So like I, I think that you know, I mean, it, it, it works well on the up, and it works uh, less well over the past six months on the down. Right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that we've seen some of those uh, fintech. I mean, so we've uh, first of all we've seen a major wave of of fintech IPOs, spacs in 2020 2021. And as you pointed out, I mean, uh, most of them have not fared uh, very well, but I think, you know, it should be viewed in the context of the broader kind of small mid-cap uh, sector.
0: And maybe let's zoom out a little bit and, and talk about the rise of fintech as an industry overall. Did you see kind of a fundamental shift towards this industry, um, say, it, you know, after the financial crisis or maybe driven by some other technological change?
1: Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. I think that financial crisis was, uh, in some ways, had, had a big impetus for that growth in in a couple of ways, right? So it directly, it put the um, large incumbents on the defense, right? So large incumbents had to scale back operations around different areas, they had to spend a lot of their money on compliance. You know, the joke was that for a number of years, they, they hired way more compliance people than traders, and it also damaged the reputation in the eyes of consumers and was, you know, if you think about it, the ideological, the ideological impetus for the creation of the Bitcoin blockchain and kind of everything that uh, followed from that. Indirectly, I think that it helped uh, coordinate smart entrepreneurs and VCs around this realization that financial services are important, but hugely uh, inefficient.
0: Uh, I would love to hear a little bit more on the inefficiency point that you just made about existing financial services companies. Uh, do you have like any uh, data, whether anecdotal or, or hard data, to, to kind of bring that point to life?
1: Yeah. Look, there are, uh, if you think about um, both the efficiency and the role of technology in addressing these inefficiencies, I think that there are kind of two broad themes that uh, really intersected to create something quite powerful. Uh, The first is the the fact that the financial service industry uh, managed to keep the value stemming from uh, technological innovation uh, internally, right? So that historically didn't really translate into essentially cheaper or better products. Now, I can give you many examples, but a simple, quite striking one is the fact that if you walked into Western Union 150 years ago and you asked to send 300 bucks in the US, it would have cost you around $9. Now. Same company, same Western Union, transferring the same 300 bucks would actually cost you $11, okay? Bear in mind that back then, they had to actually put the money in a sack, right? Tie it to a horse that can uh, get uh, stopped or robbed along the way, and that's how money got, got, got over, right? So we obviously live in a completely different world now relative to 150 years ago, yet the cost of something like very basic like transferring money in the U.S. has not really gone down. Mm -hmm. The second being that the nature of technologies that have uh, seen the biggest breakthroughs over the past 15 years or so, and what I have in mind here is machine learning and blockchain, they really transform the way information is being used. Uh, And information is central to the delivery of almost any financial service. So you can think of sort of lending or investing or underwriting insurance, you know, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. So the result is that these technologies are affecting the front office now, not just some back office operation. And these technologies are also giving rise to new ways of delivering products and to new business models. And, and that's what we've seen coming out of, of FinTech over the last 10 years or so.
0: Yeah. And in your class, one of the the, the second case, I believe it was, that we studied mm-hmm. was, was about Lending Club. Uh, and I think that was a, a great I think it was a great selection to to dive into that model in particular because of its use of certain types of technologies that you mentioned and its IPO price and some of the trouble it faced and how it's rebounded from that. Uh, I would love to hear like what interested you in Lending Club and why you chose that as a as one of the first cases that we dove into.
1: A couple of reasons. One is because lending is such a fundamental service that banks and financial service companies offer that sort of talking about fintech without talking about lending it is at the very least odd. The second reason is because, you know, I think really lending Club was a pioneer in, in, in thinking about a new, a fundamentally different way of delivering, I don't know, thousand years, probably old basic service in a, in a very different way. Now, you know, I think kind of like looking exposed, that model was not necessarily very successful, at least not in the U.S., Namely, the peer-to-peer or or marketplace uh, lending business model, but but it shows innovation. It shows that you can actually that you can do it in a very you can structure this product in a a very different way. And and I think both that and the kind of the ex the 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 analysis of what what went right and what went wrong are interesting for entrepreneurs in this space right now.
0: Yeah, and I want to take a little bit of a global view of fintech next. And just talk about global trends and what makes fintech more or less successful uh, in different regions. What have you seen in the landscape that, that makes uh, adoption of fintech products more successful in international regions? And are there any regions in particular that you're very excited about?
1: Yeah. Look, let me, let me give you an important caveat, which is that I'm not pretending to be a complete globe, like having a complete and global view of this vast industry. So so I gave you the disclaimer, but, but I think that we see two non-generic factors affecting the spread and adoption of fintech uh, globally. I think the first is just the size of the gap the existing financial service industry has created in the form of you know, what we think of under an unbanked population, and I'm including small businesses, kind of like what we call SMEs uh, in that account. Somewhat related to that. Is the willingness of different jurisdictions to adapt and encourage the growth of innovation through dedicated regulation, and something that we've touched on in the course as well, change existing regulation and adapt widespread digital a- initiatives. I'll give you, a, you know, a, a simple but I think important example because it underpins almost any f- financial service, and that's KYC, right? So in many countries, KYC used to be in person only, right? You had to kind of Bring in your physical certificates, whatever they are, in front of a of, you know a person that would authenticate that you are who, who you are, and that close to kills the ability of digital only businesses to scale effectively. So one thing you can do is just you can change the rules and allow for electronic processing, right? And that's sort of one level, or uh, you can go one step further, like India has, and create an sort of entire national a secure identity digital native identity and of course once you do that you've completely transformed the ability to deliver financial services on top of that infrastructure so so i think that all in all i'm i'm really excited about the potential of uh, fintech in developing countries and this is something that i've been excited about for a while now but but i think that in the last few years we see this materializing to some substantial Companies and, and and IPOs in Latin America, you know, and financial end up not going public, but it's one of the largest financial service companies now uh, in the world.
0: Amazing. And uh, you mentioned starting earlier in your career, you were working in Tel Aviv. We've had a few different uh, Israeli startups on the show. Uh, Melio Milio is one of them that's that's been quite successful. What do you think makes Israel such a powerful place for, for startups uh, to start it from?
1: It's so a good question. I think, I think historically, so I, I don't know, I haven't done a sort of in-depth analysis of this, but I think that there are a couple of things. I think that, you know, if you kind of look back even 20 years ago, right, for obvious reasons, cybersecurity, right, has been a, has been a big industry in Israel. And there are some some fairly large companies, that, the Israeli companies that have been created. Why is that relevant for fintech? Well, it's relevant for fintech at least... <laughs> because uh, these entrepreneurs had to figure out not just the technology, but may, maybe something even harder than that, and that is how to sell to enterprises and how to sell to financial service companies because those are some of the largest buyers of cybersecurity technology. So I think early on, that kind of created an infrastructure that allowed people to sort of take what they knew about financial services uh, and about how they interact uh, with decision makers in that sector, and um and leveraged other technologies that, that have been traditionally strong in, in, in Israel, like machine learning and AI, to build very different companies. But I, but I think that's, you know, it's that plus things that are, you know, uh, I think just conduct, uh, conducive to entrepreneurship uh, overall, not just in fintech in Israel. And that is that we, we, we now have a very robust infrastructure of VCs, right? Uh, um, and, the, and I think that's that's really helpful. And we have now a fairly robust network of both young, but also established entrepreneurs, right? So, And, and, and uh, connecting in Israel uh, in this uh, fairly large network is, is incredibly easy. So I'm not an expert on the so- sociology of entrepreneurship, but I think that my general evidence suggests that it's important. Mm-hmm.
0: On that note, you mentioned at the start of the show that you wanted to help prepare young professionals for a career in fintech. Um, and you've you've briefly mentioned now the uh, growth of VC funding into the space. At, between 2020 and 2021, I believe uh, fin, uh, VC investments into fintech more than doubled. And 2020 was already a, a very strong year. Um, so yeah. I would love to kind of get your thoughts on why this is such a compelling career choice uh, for new graduates, especially ones that might be concerned that they've already missed the boat, uh, which I don't think is the case. Um, but would love to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I I really don't think that uh, (laughs) this is a big industry, right? So uh, this is a fact that I mentioned in the course. But around six or seven percent of global GDP, right, goes to financial services. Um, So if you if you just keep that headline number in mind, you will see that we've started make some some headway, but but there's still there's still a lot of room to grow. And, and I, I agree with you. I, I really think that this is um, one of the best areas to go into right now. So FinTech is obviously a very broad term, and so I'll give you a kind of a high-level answer, but I, in, in my view, it combines the ability to participate in enterprises that can and, and many of them will scale very rapidly. It's an analytical discipline that rewards quantitative and, and creative thinking. Uh, I think it's just, just fun, right? And it's very innovative. Right, so it's kind of combining some of these analytical parts that have all been, always been part of uh, finance with, with a lot of creativity and innovation. Look, I mean, it's truly a very personal decision, but there are few more exciting areas, in my view, to be in uh, right now. And with the rise of DeFi and kind of what we now kind of relabel to be Web 3.0, I believe that finance will become, if anything, uh, bigger. Uh, because it will be embedded in every product and service from day one, and sh- just think about concrete examples right now. I mean, think of a creatives and NFTs, right? So now, to be successful, you need to be thinking about auction design and and liquidity, which is one of core finance questions, and not just about the arts and the the aesthetics of your of your creation. So, so I think actually, <laughs> finance as a as a field is going to look very different in an exciting way. And I think it's actually going to be bigger in the coming years.
0: Yeah. Let's keep taking a forward-looking view at what, how fintech might evolve over the next few years. One of the technologies that we talked a lot about in the, in the course was was blockchain technology, um, not just from a DeFi lens, but fun- fundamentally, like, what is blockchain technology? Why did you devote so much of the course's time on that? And uh, which use cases for blockchain are you most excited to see play out?
1: Yeah, Totally agree. I mean, uh, if anything, uh, we should probably de- uh, dedicate more time to this area. But I think that crypto and DeFi uh, are really laying the groundwork for composable, global, open source financial services. So, those are some big words, but what does that mean? Well, when you mix them with direct and strong incentives, it means that, that you get the top minds uh, building on top of each other and and doing so at a pace that I don't think that we've seen. Ever before, truly, and I and, and I kind of you know I listen to people that have been around uh, the creation of the internet and their experience back then. I mean, what we're seeing now with with DeFi is unprecedented. So I'm not smart enough to know what are the most interesting use cases will be, but I know that as a system, this will be a very difficult structure to compete with. So I didn't I, get, I didn't answer your question about like the use cases, but but I, I'm um, I'm a firm believer that this is going to be a lot more than just transformational. Like I think that mm-hmm. this going to be truly, truly powerful and it will power basically the next generation of, um, of companies. And, and if you want to call it um, corporate structures, right, that they're not going to be corporate structure, but, but something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Are there any other trends in fintech overall that you're excited to see play out, um, say over the next three to five years?
1: yeah good question. Um well, I, I think that the insurance industry is sort of an obvious uh, large target. Uh, I'm not inventing uh, any will here, uh, and we've seen some players trying to chip at the industry by following kind of either direct sales and and or more competitive cost structure. because we're going back to the fundamental ability of um, both blockchain and machine learning to transform how information is captured and how it's utilized. I think that I think that they're more for fundamental opportunities
0: for fintechs in that space. And on the flip side, are there any words of caution or skepticism that you have? Uh, questions that students maybe should be asking when they're looking to join a fintech uh, company, uh, maybe by a particular sector or, or anything else?
1: I, I I don't I don't think that there's any particular. I mean, I, th- I think that. You know, I'm very excited about the Web 3.0. I think it's going to take longer to materialize that that, that people think we're not going to be living on a on a metaverse, and and um, the entire U.S. corporate uh, world is going to be composed of of DAOs. You know, in the next two years, and so so I think we need to be realistic about that. I think all in all, there are going to be big winners. So I think that there's sort of Amazon-size opportunities in this sector, and there are obviously going to be many losers. Uh, choosing which <laughs> which is going to be which is, is kind of harder early on. But all, all in all, if you look at kind of market valuations, specifically for small mid-cap tech growth companies, they're fairly tame right now, you know. So, and I expect that private round valuations will start going down in the near future as well. So I, I think we see a little bit of disconnect right now, but I'm less concerned about, kind of as, as a, at, at a sector level, about overvaluation than I than may have been
0: uh, a year ago. Great. Uh, and Professor, the last thing I wanted to do today was just ask you a few rapid fire questions uh, to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. Hoping sure. for answers here in about 10 seconds or less.
1: Okay, I'll do my best. All
0: right, let's do it. Uh, so if you were not a professor, uh, what else would you be doing?
1: Probably be an industrial designer.
0: Very cool. Uh, what is the best perk of being a pen professor?
1: Uh, without a doubt, interacting with the uh, Truly inspiring individuals, you know, from, from students to, uh, to faculty.
0: Nice. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite book?
1: Uh, for, for many years, it's been Zorba the Greek.
0: Nice. Uh, what is your favorite vacation that you've been on?
1: Now, now that I think about it, it's related to my previous question, but uh, sailing. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. if you give me sailboat, uh, we're pretty much 90% there in terms of perfect vacation.
0: That's great. Um, are there any student startups that you had the opportunity to advise or invest in uh, that you didn't and you wish you had?
1: Um, no, I, you know I tend to be critical but supportive because uh, mm-hmm. I have the utmost respect uh, for entrepreneurs who build companies. Uh, I know how hard it is, so uh, so I, I, I try to be you know for with most of them I try to be I tend to be cooperative.
0: Yeah, that's great. And last question for today, and you can take a little bit longer on this if you'd like. I'm sure that five years ago, you didn't, uh, maybe maybe 10 years ago, you didn't envision spending mm-hmm. so much time on blockchain uh, in your fintech lectures. How do you hope to see your class evolve over the next five to 10 years?
1: No, you're absolutely right. And we, we've had some discussion in the department about this. It will most likely, the course will most likely expand in scope. Uh, and my plan is to include a deeper discussion of both crypto and DeFi, because that space has, has, has really exploded in the last few years. So that that's my plan, and I'm working on that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to offer sort of a, a pilot uh, next year of that version. You know, we'll see what the future holds.
0: Yeah, exciting news for uh, prospective students or, or students that are looking to take the class next year. Um, but Professor, I think that's a that's a pretty good place to wrap it up for today. Um, so thank you again so much for your time and and for your course uh, and sharing some of, this, some of these insights with our listeners. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's great talking to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Wharton There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor Rafael Austria for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.